Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. And we are studying the big books, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, this week's chapter and step is, thank you, six and seven. Uh, and our speaker tonight is Arlene in California. Thank you, Arlene. Melissa's asked a wonderful question. How would you like your time for the 20 minutes you've got? Um, I would love a five minute after five minutes and then maybe with five to go. And there's 25 so and 15, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So hi everybody, my name is Arlene. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm really happy to be here and see people that I really, really love and have made such a profound difference in my recovery. However, I think with the exception of maybe one or two, I've never met you. It's amazing how connected the power of Zoom. So I'm just gonna take a couple of minutes just to give you my stats. Um, I came into my first meeting, believe it or not, <laughs> um, 40 years ago this past February. And I was in college at the time and um, I will be celebrating 19 years of abstinence this August. So clearly it's not been an easy road for me. And um, I'm probably maintaining because I'm not getting on a scale these days because unless it's my birth weight, it's never gonna be the right number. So um, probably about 60, 65 pounds weight loss for all of that time. And um, I was in the, in the rooms and I would say the first 16 years and I did have 16 years of abstinence, physical, that's what it was. It was a food plan and it was going to meetings. I really did not have a uh, conception of God. I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, unfortunately, I had a terrible experience when I was in high school. I, um, one of my best friends had a heart attack and died in front of me and I think at that moment and for a long period of time, I lost faith. I just didn't understand how something like that could happen. And then fast forward to my disease is that that night at dinner, the principal of my school, teachers came over, friends calling parents. And the only thing my parents said to me that night is why aren't you eating your dinner? And I think it was like at that moment, the only thing I knew to do was to eat chocolate ice cream. And there went, really started a very long love affair with chocolate ice cream. And, um, you know, I want to spend a lot of time really talking about these step six and seven because they're profound uh, steps for me. And honestly, it is amazing to me that in the big book, it only is a paragraph on each one. So I'm going to speak from the AA 12 and 12 and really sort of talk about my experience with it and how it impacted my life. Because I've done, I've gone through the 12 steps many times throughout these years. You know, somewhere that traditional form that was in the big book. Um, the last couple of times it's been these forms based on fears and resentments. But the early years for me, 
I never knew about this fourth column, which was my part. It was always, what did you do? But I forgot to really notice that I'm pointing a finger at you, but there's three fingers pointing back at me. And um, one, one time with step six, we did this whole thing called Praggles and that's what it was based on. Pride, resentment, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. And I wrote all about that, each one of those and how those impacted my life. And then really, you know, working on how to let go of all of that. But when I think about all the different character defects that I have, some of them serve to protect me. And I, in my younger years, um, and I feel that without them, I might not have survived in certain parts of my life. And when I look at step six on the first page, it talks about, yes, I was beaten, absolutely licked. My own willpower just wouldn't work. Um, and I tried everything. You know, I went on different diets, but I always hear people say in the rooms, oh yeah, I could lose weight. But at the end, I couldn't even lose weight. I could maybe stay on a diet for breakfast, maybe lunch, but that was it. I just, um, I had no willpower. And what was so amazing to me was I was such a disciplined person in other parts of my life. It was, um, I was an athlete as a kid. I was a state ranked tennis player. I mean, I really always thought I was going to be a professional tennis player. And then when I got, thanks, when I got to college, thank you, I realized um, that I wasn't going to be a professional. I didn't even, I wasn't number one. I didn't even start my first semester. I sat on the bench. It's the first time since I was six years old that I wasn't the best. I mean, even in high school, I played on the boys team. I mean, back then, who did that? Um, but I did. And the only thing I knew to do when I realized I wasn't going to start was to eat ice cream and binge as much as I could in the college dining hall. And going to a gigantic university, you know, everything is buffet style and, you know, more, more is better. Somewhere early in my life, that barometer broke and I never knew what full meant. I still honestly don't know what full means. I could just keep going, keep packing it away. Um, and I tried, it says a change of scene. So, you know, I moved to different places. I tried different jobs, different guys. And, you know, there's a line in right at the end of how it works where it says, um, no human being could, um, oh my God, how am I blanking, can relieve us of this. And it was no boyfriend, no baby, no job, no, no amount of money, no amount of handbags or shoes, because I love both of those, could fill me up. They just couldn't. Um, but so later on, as I got into my second abstinence, which was... Um, in 2002, the summer of 2002, and I lived in on the East Coast, and I'd gone through September 11th, 2001, and I lost eight different friends that day. Um, a few of them were in the building, 
and I had a straight shot view of um, the towers. And I called these two guys and I said, I don't know, something just hit your building. A plane did. Like, we know we felt it shake. I'm like, I think you should leave. Like, no, 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 we're going to be fine. You're being dramatic. And then that was it. Um, and the only thing I knew to do was to eat then too. And it was just one of those moments where it was just, I was not taught as a kid how to feel. Everything was just supposed to be like this. And I didn't have those coping skills. But as I got deeper into program again and really studied the big book, pretty much for the first time, first, even though I had looked at the words, somehow they weren't penetrating. And it was as if I had a new pair of eyes and a new pair of ears. And I think it's because I took the cotton out of my ears and put it in my mouth and really paid attention and listened to what people said and wasn't so busy planning the perfect share so that people would say, oh my God, she's amazing. Like she needs to be the star of OA and just be one of. That's why one of my favorite things when meetings are in person, when they're in a circle, is I'm just one of. I'm not in the middle, but I'm not on the outside. Just being a part of a group and a fellowship. But as I looked at these character defects, like let's talk about gossip, because that still is something I could sometimes get into. It was a big one for me. And I've struggled with it a lot because it made me feel a part of. And until I moved out here like a year and a half ago, I was working at Lincoln Center in New York and I had a pretty big job. So I had a big staff and I would sometimes hang out with my staff to hear the gossip because I felt so lonely because I couldn't really talk about some stuff. And not that I'm, you know, a high-end executive, but I understand what people do say it gets lonely at the top because it was just one of those moments. So that was, so that's gossip. What's another one? Um, envy. You know, I do have a daughter. I'm really grateful for that. I've been divorced twice. Um, second time didn't really count. I say, I always say, it cause I have so much shame about it. And I would envy, you know, happily married, couples or whatever it was, because that wasn't me. And so most of you know, my daughter got married a couple of weeks ago and her dad was there with his girlfriend and her kids. And I was really freaked out and I was nervous and I was scared and I was all riled up and I did some amazing writing, gave it to my sponsor. And I kept praying because I walked in. I walked in with God. I walked in knowing that I wasn't alone, even though I felt alone. And um, it was, it actually turned out to be really fine. I'm not going to say it was great because it wasn't the wedding that I wanted to plan. I'm an event planner. Like who does a stupid Zoom wedding in her in-laws backyard? But anyway, that's another story. But um, let's talk about judgmental. Okay, there's another one. So I've got plenty of them, but what I do want to say, and thanks for laughing, is that one of the ways I've gone through these step six and step seven 
was when I lived in New York, we would write the defects on helium balloons and then release them, say a prayer and release them one at a time. Now that I live out in LA near the ocean, I've gone to the beach with sponsees or even sometimes myself when I'm really struggling. And I take a stick or a rock and I write the word, the defect, the issue, the person in the sand close enough so that I know the water will eventually come. And then I say that prayer to please remove this from me. It does not serve me. And I let the water, a wave come in and wash it away. I do it every year, try to on New Year's Eve or the day before to really let go of things from my past. And I do have to say, I've struggled with living in the past or living in the future, as opposed to staying in the moment. But during this pandemic, I've really worked on staying where my feet are. I can spin out like nobody's business. I was uh, on a work thing and someone was saying, you know, what's your husband like? And I'm like, I don't have a husband. And um, like, well, are you online dating? And I'm like, no, I can't do that. And then I said to her, which I still can't believe I said this to sort of a stranger. It's like, I go out on a date. If it goes well, I'm home picking out China patterns. You know, that's what I do. I go straight to the spin cycle. I don't know how to do wash and rinse. It's straight to spin. And I can do that on pretty much any topic. The good news is I see it and then I can pull it back a little bit. And that's one of the gifts from step six and seven, because I now can see when I get angry or scared. I mean, I never knew I was such a fear-based person and I am, but when I can see that, you know, the opposite of fear is faith or lack of trust. And I've really had to work on my relationship with God. As I told you, I've had a lot of death around me. So a couple of years ago, my best friend died and I mean, she had been ill, but like it's three years and I still miss her every single day. I just cannot believe that she's not here, but I abstained through it. I felt it. That was the other thing. I always had delayed reactions when emotional trauma came. I didn't react right at the moment. Days later or weeks later, all of a sudden the tears would come. But now I have that ability to feel. And how do I get to feel? By number one, abstaining, no matter what, no matter what. When I was in New York for a couple of weeks, definitely I had a few much bigger meals. But at the end of the day, I could go to sleep at night and feel really good about myself. You know, at my daughter's wedding, they didn't want food, but the in-laws ended up being okay with um, food trucks. And, you know, it was fine, I, but I couldn't eat. I just was sort of wrapped up in the moment and being there for my daughter and being, I didn't want to think about food and I didn't. I had a good lunch, you know, that really with protein. And then I just said, God, just be with me. And I wanted to be with the people. You know, when 
in the Jewish religion, when people die, it's all about the fricking food. And um, my life isn't about that anymore. When my parents died, both of them in the last mm -hmm. several years, thank you. Um, and people were sending all this stuff. It actually made me sick, you know, to look at it. I'm like, you guys take it or we'll give, we'll donate it. It didn't call to me. And that's nothing short of a miracle. And how did that happen? It's because I work this program constantly. I also realize I am not in charge of anything. I'm in charge of my first bite. If I pick up a fork, I'm, I'm responsible for that. But I, um, but I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be humble and know that it doesn't mean I have to feel humiliated. That's what I always thought humility was, that it was humiliation as opposed to just being, just being, just be. You know, I've learned how to meditate during this pandemic. And I lead this meditation in the morning, three days a week. And when my friend go, comes, we do this prayer that says, be still and know I am God. Be still and know, be still, be. And sometimes as I'm walking my dog or when I walk around, I just say to myself, just be. I don't have to be a star. I don't have to, I don't really have to do anything, but just give service. You know, I try to give as much service as I can especially while, while I was out of work for a few months. Um, and now I'm working on a project now, but I sponsor, I guess, six women right now. I'm the vice chair of the LA inner group. Um, I do a lot of outreach whenever I can timing at meetings, you know, wherever, because without it, there's no question. I will go back to the food. I have joy in my life in certain ways, in other ways, I'm, I have some sadness too. It's like this whole re-entry back into the real world. It's not as easy as I thought. It was really easy when I was in New York because I was surrounded by people. I don't have a big world out here in LA yet because I moved and a few months later we went into this pandemic. So it's, um, I know I need more friends and I'm going to work on that. But it's also, it's all a process. You know, what's another defect? How hard I am on myself. You know, it's just that relentlessness. I'm so grateful I get to take that, those chains and whips away from me. And just, again, just be. And, um, you know, there's a part of me, it's like my time's almost up. And I feel like I really haven't said very much. And oh, my God, but you know what? I'm just being me. And um, the good news is in my recovery and in my process today, I don't feel the envy of people. I don't have jealousy in me. You have something great. I'm so happy for you. You know, I was talking to this friend of mine and she was saying, someone said, I hate rich people. And I'm like, who says that? But you know what? I get to pray for this woman. I feel bad that that's how she looks at life. There are my 
daughters-in-laws, they're really crazy people. And the good news is I get to pray for them now. And I get to say they're crazy and laugh about it instead of being so angry and resentful of them. I don't have that anymore, which is just, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And how did this happen? Because God rewired my brain and rewired my heart. I, my heart is open in a way it's never been before. I don't know how that happened. I think it's just by, I Zoom all the time. There are days I go on two or three in a day because I need that connection. I need to feel connected to humans. Food will never give me that connection. I mean, I love our dog, but, you know, not really connection either. But she's a great listener, never talks back. Um, and I guess the gift is, you know, there's so many people here, like from Chicago, Emily, and in New York, Amy, you know, and all these other people that I'm getting to know and like love and talk to. And you have a part of my heart now. That's the silver lining of Zoom for me. And I'm so incredibly um, grateful for that. I want to keep on working on forgiving myself for not being whoever I thought I should be. I want to, yeah, I don't need to be competitive anymore. That's time. Okay. So it's about forgiving myself as I forgive others. That's a big thing for me. And um, I've been working on that a lot. And it's also that trust factor too of everything in life, wherever we are is where we are. And it's where we're supposed to be right now. And I'm just so grateful that you're all here with me, sometimes trudging, sometimes skipping, sometimes running and sometimes hobbling. But um, thank you for letting me share. I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for asking me, Amy, and love you guys. Love you too, Arlene. Okay, thank you. Uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing in questions should relate specifically to uh, step six and seven, which is what we're studying this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and Wendy will call the raised hands in order. Uh, Melissa, would you mind setting a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up? Thank you. All right, we are ready. We are ready to go with the sharing. Okay, it looks like Layla's hand is up. Go ahead, Layla. Hi, I'm Leia, compulsive overeater. Um, Arlene, I love you. Um, in California as well. I'm uh, I was, I made an outreach call to Arlene right before she came to this meeting and it was just exactly what I needed. So thank you. And I always get something from your share every single time I hear you. Um, 
Yeah. What a great meeting. Um, and uh, the idea of this uh, concept of God, because I formerly had a lot of uh, sponsees struggling a lot with the she, her, the verbiage, all of that. And, uh, you know, I wish a meeting like that uh, had been around at that time when I was working with them. But anyways, uh, step six and seven, Arlene, I love what you mentioned about letting go of your character defects in these certain ways. I've never done that before. And I think I have heard of other people doing it, um, but I think I, I, I need a beach trip. I already told you I needed a beach trip earlier, but that might be perfect um, because I have a lot of character defects that have come up and kind of run my life a little bit. You know, I'm a fixer and I'm a people pleaser and there's a lot going on in life right now and I really want to fix it. I really want to play God. I want to make everybody healthy. I want to keep everybody safe. I want to make everybody happy. And I want to make everybody take care of themselves the way that I think they should take care of themselves because I know how to take care of myself. Cause that's, I hear it out loud and it sounds insane. Um, and it's causing me to, uh, pay, you know, not pick up the food necessarily, but start to notice habits that are becoming uncomfortable, that are making me uncomfortable, you know, with in, in terms of like times I'm eating and like the structure of my food plan. And there's just, there's a lot going on. And I, I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with my food because uh, <laughs> it never does. Um, and, you know, in these hard times, I've really struggled in like reaching out more to my higher power because um, uh, I'm, my nephew has just been diagnosed with cancer. He's six years old. He's my baby. He's my, he's in my heart. And uh, I don't, I don't know how to do both. I'm getting a little bit better at reaching out to God and praying right now and meaning it again. Um, but it's, it's really been hard. Uh, and I need to let go of this resentment that I have, cause it's going to kill me and it's going to drive me further to these character defects that absolutely will kill me. You know, I used to be over 320 pounds. I've lost 140 some odd pounds in this, in this program. And because of these steps and, and like, I know my best thinking when I'm on my own mission it winds up being a mission of self-destruction. So um, I'm really happy to be here and get the message and hear the message and see all your faces. And thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Leah. Now we have Kelly. Go ahead, Kelly. Thank you. Hi, Kelly Compulsive Overeater. <clears throat> Excuse me. Arlene, thank you so much. I you know, I come to this meeting as often as I can. I've been really struggling in and out of the food um, and mainly in, cause it's a progressive disease. Um, I've had, you know, over eight years of abstinence and picked up December and I haven't been able to get back on the horse. I went to inpatient treatment and still picked up. I'm going to therapy twice a week, have a great sponsor, none of it matters, you know? And I'm really feeling, I, I don't want to leave my apartment. I'm embarrassed to go in the elevator to if I'm going to run into anybody. I wear my sunglasses even after the sun goes down. I am mortified. I'm mortified of the damage that I've done and um, <clears throat> that the disease has done. 
you know, I'm all over the place. I relate so much to the New York. My aunt um, was in the building next door. And the, I mean, unbelievable, <clears throat> traumatizing. I haven't been through that, but I just relate because I understand the scene of it all. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I just got out of a relationship in December, which feels like yesterday for with a man I thought I was going to marry. And the pain is so bad. Um, and I cry about it every day. I'm making no progress towards moving forward with that. Um, <clears throat> and every day I wake up with this feeling like, do I feel like fighting again today? Like, am I going to outrun these thoughts, these urges? And I pray and I do all the things. And yet the obsession just gets too loud and I just give out. It's like my threshold for pain is so small that like, and I've been through hell and back with things like in recovery that it's like, you couldn't pay me to eat. And like, now it's like one, I get like my insurance bill in the mail and it's like, Oh, like I don't open it for days. You know, it's like everything so much. So I'm in like a really, really um, scary place because I understand it's, it's a spiritual solution and I get that. And it's hard because I feel like I'm putting in that work and I'm not seeing the results and like, there's no other place to go. And I know that I'm not looking for another solution, but I'm just like losing hope in myself because all my fears, everything, like I'm going to have to work at home alone and live alone. It's like, Whoa, now I'm home alone and I live alone. And then I'm going to bend my brains out. If that happens, like these were all my fears on my fear inventory. It was always like fear of being home alone, fear of binging. If I'm home alone, fear of working from home and being fear of my heart getting broken. And like all these things have happened. And it's like, I feel like I'm living out all these fears and, um, and it's scary because it's almost like the pain that I'm feeling of the consequences of picking up. Being still, thank you. Being still in this discomfort, sometimes the immediate feels like a better solution. And that's the disease. So anyway, today was a really scary day. I got through it, abstinent. Um, but I'm sick of playing Russian roulette every time I wake up. Thank you.